This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. It's today's date, the 21st of May, and we're going to be uh, continuing the discussions we were having on the Yarrawarra retreat. And so the title of the talk today is Suffering and the End of Suffering, Part 3. Or we could uh, also entitle it Happiness and Ending the Pursuit of Happiness, Part 3. Okay, just bear with me for a sec. Okay. A couple of, um, I should have caveats, warnings, the kind of before every Dharma talk, but it would just be too much to say this every time. So um, I will just, uh, but I'll say it again. Um, first of all, you know, whenever I start to speak, whenever a Zen teacher or any teacher starts to speak, it's really one of the warnings or caveats should be, this is not the truth. Because as soon as we start to speak, um, we immediately go into language and language is in inherently dualistic. And so it's always best, I think, to think in terms of this Buddhist word called upaya, which just means skillful means. So I'm just sharing with you ideas, skills, experiences in my, from my own practice, my own life, that I found helpful to me. Um, that's the first caveat. The second caveat is that um, we speak, I speak a lot about, and you'll find in the spiritual literature, people often speak about non-duality. And it's, and I always, I often forget to sort of underline this or highlight this, that um, it's important not to set up a duality between non-duality and duality. Um, it's not that duality is bad and non-duality is good, that kind of thing. Um, in fact, duality and non-duality are both equally real and unreal. Um, it's more about the, the flexibility. It's more about flexibility. It's more about if we can see from the perspective of non-duality, it adds another dimension. 
if we can only see through the lens of duality, we kind of like stuck in duality. But it's important not to be also stuck in non-duality. We need the flexibility to move between the two. So often in, 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 in Buddhism and, and probably other teachings, you get a kind of three-step process where we start in duality, have some kind of seeing or insight into, into non-duality, and then we come back to the third position, which is neither dual or non-dual, meaning that you can actually be flexible moving in between the two perspectives of the rabbit and the duck, so to speak. Don't get stuck in the duck and don't get stuck in the rabbit is the uh, metaphor that Barry was using on the retreat for duality and non-duality. So, for example, um, you know, um, uh, non-duality is very simple. It just simply means uh, one, and uh, everything is just one seamless whole, and uh, that's what we are, but we can't step outside of that and observe that one seamless whole. We can only be it, um, you know, but if we were in the wilderness and we were trying to survive or, um, you know, um, you know, duality is very useful um, in, in, in being able to separate from the animal we may need to kill to survive. So, um, you know, duality is something we're all uh, raised into, we're all brought up in duality. And uh, we obviously need to be able to move in and out of duality. Um, um, if you, uh, you know, if you are in the wilderness and everything is one, and uh, everything uh, that you, you you might you might die, so that wouldn't be very useful. Okay, um, and yeah, in in that sense too. Um, you know, we talk about dreams and we talk the metaphor of a dream is the same thing. It's true that it's a useful metaphor to wake up out, you know, out of the self-centered dream. And at the same time, we're still waking up into another dream. Um, we can't escape, in a sense, God's dream, you know, because if we, if we wake up from our little self-centered dream, we're still in the dream. We're still... We're still always localized in this body mind that we are, in this human form that we are. You know, we're not a mouse, we're not an elephant, we don't experience the world as a fly or an elephant would experience the world. We're always experiencing the world through our five sense doors and our mind. Perceptions, sensations, and mind. We can't, we can't, the Buddha and all the great sages also experience the world through their senses and their mind. We can't escape from that. Um, so this practice, the reason why I come back to this suffering and the ending of suffering or happiness and the ending the pursuit of happiness is for me, the, uh, the metaphysics are interesting, but they're not the most important aspect of our practice. To me, the most important aspect of our practice is being happy and not doing harm. And uh, if non-duality can help us in that process, then it's important. So today I'm going to share a couple of stories. One's an old koan, and uh, 
and then another story I became uh, aware of a few years ago, which I found helpful. And uh, we'll continue exploring this notion of how we can bring to an end psychological suffering. Um, and, and, in, and in many ways, it's, it, it is helpful to see that psychological suffering is mind generated. It is something we can actually maybe not totally eradicate, but certainly reduce to a great degree. And so that kind of psychological suffering in a way is uh, synonymous with getting caught in the self-centered dream, obviously, getting caught in the duality of a me and a not me. And uh, not seeing uh, the other perspective, the, the sense of unbounded, unlimited awareness that we also are. So yes, we are this little constricted and tight little me, sort of looking out at a not me. That's part of our reality. Uh, uh, duality is not separate from non-duality, otherwise we create another duality. But it's important to see this other perspective, because when we see this other perspective, and we can bring that into our everyday life, well, it can be very light, lightening. It can be very, we feel lighter, not so heavy, not so pressured, and not so suffering, not so stressed. So we'll... Uh, I'll, I'll share these stories. The, the, the first is an old koan, which I, I really like. It's, um, I haven't appreciated this koan until now, really. And uh, I'd like to share it with you. And I'll talk about it. And I'll give you know my interpretation, my reading of the koan. But it, it, I don't want to take away your own adventures in koans you can take any koan and you can sit with a co i mean the, the, the purpose of koans in some ways is to sit with them and just see how they can open up something for you um koans are just simply stories that have been passed down to us through the ages and uh, and we we can we can we we, we keep them alive um and 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 then interpret them and get something from them that means something to us in our contemporary time and place. So I would like to share this one with you. So here is the um, old um, the old koan. Um, Lugang. Uh, who was a kind of uh, governor at the time, so a well-educated person uh, who was uh, meeting with his teacher called Nanquan, quite a famous teacher who was a successor of a guy called Matsu. And Lugang, who, who knew these old stories pretty well, said to Nanquan, if someone puts a gosling into a bottle, and feeds it until it is full grown. How can they get the goose out without killing it or breaking the bottle? I'll just repeat that. So the koan is if someone puts a gosling into a bottle and feeds it until it is full grown, how can they get the goose out of the bottle without killing the goose or breaking the bottle? 
So Nanquan Nan, Nan was silent for a while. And then he clapped his hand. Lu Gang was startled and very attentive. And Nanquan said, the goose is out. Now let's just, just, just hold that story and I'll share another story with you. This is not a koan, um, but you may have come across this one in your travels. Fleas can jump extremely high, several times higher than a jar, in fact. If you put fleas in an open jar, they're fully capable of jumping right out of the confinement of the jar. Then, if you put a lid on the jar, that is, if you close the jar, the fleas jump and bump their heads on the lid. Pretty soon, the fleas realize they're not only unable to escape the confinement of the jar, but they also realize they'll bump their heads on the lid if they jump as high as they're fully capable of jumping. So they learn to jump almost as high as the lid, but not quite as high. Fleas play it smart. They play it safe. Fleas know their limitations. They learn to jump only so high. They learn that jumping higher than the closed lid is futile. They learn to jump not as high as they're capable of jumping. They learn to jump only high enough so they don't bump their heads on the lid. But then, if you remove the lid from the jar again, that is, if you reopen the jar, the fleas still don't jump higher than the erstwhile limit previously imposed on them by the closed lid, even though the lid is open, the jar is open. And even though they're fully capable of jumping high enough to escape the confinement of the reopened jar. So, maybe even if we were able to remove the goose from the bottle without breaking the bottle, the goose would continue to behave as if it was still in the bottle. So you can play with this. Basically, the question is, you know, what is the goose and what is the bottle? So I will I will give you my interpretation of that, but um, you can sit with these stories and these, and uh, come up with your own insights. But here's my take on it, as of today. So both these stories are illustrative of how we continue to you know, replicate the maladaptive core beliefs and strategies that Joko talked about when we were reading her third book. These core beliefs and strategies that we developed to survive 
and keep ourselves safe. Like the goose and the flea, we are trained to configure ourselves around the requirements that are imposed upon us by our culture and those who have authority over us in our childhood and onwards. In fact, it's almost impossible not to become the goose or the flea. I mean, that's how we get through childhood, right? We could work with the goose and the flea while staying in duality, which is how many earlier Western therapies used to work. Trying to change the shape of the goose or help the flea confront its fears, for example, to take a risk to do something different. And that's all fine. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of therapies that uh, encourage personal growth in that way. But from a non-dual perspective, we want to go deeper than that. We become trapped in these thoughts, beliefs, and identities, and we act from these thoughts, beliefs, and identities through the process of unconscious identification. In the same way, and this is the good news, we can free ourselves from the bottle by the conscious process of disidentification and the recognition of our other nature of un unconditioned awareness, which gives us the freedom to liberate ourselves from these bottles. So these stories are illustrative of the many predicaments we find ourselves in. It's sometimes the goose in the bottle is sometimes referred to as a predicament koan. And we're always in our life in some kind of situation, some kind of predicament a lot of the time. The bottle, of course, can come in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. And what's more, later in life, when we seek to escape the prison we imagine ourselves to be in, sometimes we only reinforce the sense of being imprisoned by seeking outside of ourselves. We may feel trapped in gender or the religion we were brought up in. We may feel trapped in a job or in a relationship. Again, I am not saying we shouldn't change our gendered conditioning or leave the religion we were brought up in. Neither, neither am I saying it's, it's, it's perfectly fine to leave the relationship or the job. But the point is, if we don't address this koan at the fundamental level, we are likely to take that sense of being trapped into the next job or relationship or religion. And we can get trapped in the never ending sense of being trapped and spend the rest of our lives trying to escape from that trap to find the promised land, however and whatever we envision that promised land to be. 
we get trapped in, of course, and you all know this, we get trapped in the sense of pursuing something in the future when we know that the future doesn't exist, we can only always ever be here now. So if we're ever going to find freedom, it always has to be here and now. now we all know this, but we, we, we forget it often. So we identify as the goose in the bottle, even though the goose in a sense, is entirely imaginary. But it, even though something's imaginary, it still has real effects. If you imagine, if you're very hungry and uh, you visualize a, a beautiful meal, it's going to have real effects on your on your tummy, and uh, and and so on. So what we can imagine. Uh, Sometimes our mind doesn't know the difference between what is imaginary uh, or not. And anyway, we're just waking up from a dream into another dream. So as long as we believe, though, we are a separate self and we don't see the other alternative perspective, we will always experience ourselves as being trapped inside a bottle on the inside a me on the inside with a wall or a barrier between us and the not me outside. Again, this is often referred to in the Zen teachings as the gateless gate, the barrier that we experience as a barrier, which is just an imaginary barrier. So all that is required in a way is to see when you come across the word seeing in our tradition and perhaps in other traditions, it simply means experientially, not intellectually. Well, the intellect can be helpful, but all that is required is to see that there never was a goose in the bottle in the first place. So another way of going back, going back to the koan and the clap, in the moment when the teacher, Nanquan, clapped his hand, Ligang was just awareness, just this moment, without any layering. In that moment, he was not the body. In that moment, he was not the mind. In that moment, he was not the memory of the past. In that moment, he was not the future. In that moment, he was not seeking or resisting. In that moment, he was not comparing himself with anybody. In that moment, he was not a Buddhist or a Mohammedan or a Hindu. In that moment, he was simply awareness without any content, without any conditioning. In that moment, he was not young or old. In that moment, he was not beautiful or ugly. In that moment, he was not stupid or intelligent. All those conditioned layers disappeared. In that moment, he was just a flame of awareness. So in some ways, we could talk about how the goose is symbolical of infinite awareness or infinite consciousness, becoming trapped in a bottle. And the goose forgets 
its other nature, its infinite awareness. The goose forgets its other identity. And, it, and uh, so it, it forgets all of that and takes itself to be a goose that's constricted and believes the walls which separate it from the inside and the outside. The goose mistakes itself to be trapped in separateness. And this is the illusion we all get caught in. Our awareness has forgotten its nature and has identified with the socially constructed separate self. And, and all those years, it actually does feel tight. We get all that tightness and constriction somatically in our bodies as well, in our body memory. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, in our practice, it's quite common to experience when we're just sitting and a deeper relaxation, you know, permeates the body. Uh, we can experience some natural releasing of that tension and contraction of the goose. And, uh, and, then, um, and in a way, a, a lot of our work is trying to take this understanding of awareness and continuously process this through the body. Because we, even though we can have glimpses and experiences of this, we still sometimes carry this memory in the body that we are the body or that we are this contraction. And a lot of our work is just releasing us from that sense of contraction in the body, the identification with the body. That is the identification with the concept of the body. Now, so really when we say things like, I am not my body, what we're really saying is I'm not the concept of my body. I'm not the story of my body. <clears throat> So at a psychological level, in a sense, or our mind-created suffering arises from the belief that we are a separate self. And this separate self is an entirely imaginary illusion that creates lots of real effects called suffering. I could go on with other notes that I've got, but I'm going to stop there. And um, and open it up for discussion. So feel free to unmute yourself when you want to and uh, share or comment or ask a question whatever you like the um the gateless gate i'm i'm still uh like feeling like a sense of i'm not um clear i don't have clarity on the the concept of can you hear me yes yeah. i do yeah. I'm not, the concept of the gateless gate can you Maybe give another analogy. Yeah, well, it's a little bit like um, this is the, the, the gateless gate is another way of talking about the goose in the bottle. Yeah. So um, when we're, when we're, when we, we experience ourselves as being separate, we, and we experience whether it's fear or anxiety, or um, um, or the the kinds of um, 
identifications um, of core beliefs that I am this or I am there. Mm -hmm. That continuous process of identification with those limiting beliefs is is creating the the barrier. Yep. It's when our identification with those beliefs falls away that we see that there was never a bottle there in the first place. There was never a barrier there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And there never is a, there yeah, never yeah. is a, there never is a barrier. Yep. That's that's mm -hmm. the non-dual. The non-dual yep. um, has no divisions within it. It has no parts. It has no separations. It's a seamless unity. The divisions yeah. and the barriers are created by our thinking mind, language. So language is obviously a great um, helped us to evolve and to survive as human beings, but it it it, it left us with this legacy of entrapment as well and separation. Mm. Mm, okay. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. I'm familiar with that koan about the goose is out, um, having read it some years ago. Uh, but it was great to hear more your explanation of it. And I just want to comment that uh, it's given me a lot of food for thought. So I'm going to spend a week looking at that Kohan and thinking before I say anything else. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a nice upaya, a nice skillful means, like a, you know, a Kohan. I think like, you know, Gareth was talking last week about um, how he uses the practice principles. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the image of the goose in the bottle, you know, whenever you're feeling yourself in a predicament of some kind, or a sense of entrapment of some kind, which is very common. It's a nice image to conjure up and, and sit with. Yeah, and the mind is it's like glass, really. Um, when, when I left the retreat, um, I haven't told you this, but I had such clarity. It was like, oh, I've just cleaned my mirror. You know, it was like, it's like glass. You know, it's like the reflection is, is stronger and brighter and beautiful. And <clears throat> it was lovely, actually. So. I just wanted to comment on that. So yeah, I think it's uh, the, the, the many analogies for the mind, but uh, glass bottle is, is pretty good, or, or a mirror, maybe. <laughs> yep. Thank you, Kate. Hey, Jill. Hi, I just wanted to um, ask you, did you realize you're still recording? Okay. Uh, do you want me to stop? No, no. I just wondered right. if okay. you were meant to be. Okay. That's okay. We'll be, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be finishing at the end of the discussion. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So can I ask just for to clarify about the gateless gate business? So the gate is only really. It's like it's our imagining that there's a glass bottle constricting us. It's actually a gateless gate when we realize and we open our mind to being non-dualistic. Yeah. The thing is, of course, though, 
everybody imagines it too. So when you've got everybody imagining the same kind of reality, it becomes very real. Yeah. And hence harder to uh, see through because we continually get pulled back into it because everybody's in that same imaginary boat in a sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because that's the way our society functions. Yeah. So we could have taken like an example of, I mean, I mean, even if we took a simple example like um, this cup and, um, you know, I say, I, I can, I see this cup and the, the language automatically creates a, a seer and an object, a subject and an object, which mm. are separate. Whereas from a non-dualistic perspective, there's no seer. There's no thinker who thinks the thoughts. There's mm. no, there's no object which is separate from the awareness within which it's arising. Yeah. And it's easy to, with a cup, but it's the same with um, the way in which we construct relationships. You know, we typically, she or he said X, which caused me to feel Y. Yeah. The, the same duality is set up, which then just fuels a sense of anger or resentment towards the other. And that's an entirely imaginary creation. Yes. Uh. It's 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 where it's where judgment comes in, is isn't it? I mean, you you see the cup and you judge the cup to be a particular thing for a particular purpose, or a person to be a particular thing for a particular purpose. But um, people yeah. are more likely to change than a cup. Yeah. But then <laughs> uh, the the uses of a cup can be more diverse as such. Mm. Not that I'm in, so interested in the uses of people, but um, well, the functions. You know, it's static. How people are is not a static thing, and we assume we can mm. assume this. Yes, yes, I agree. Well, yeah. how we are. Yeah. I'm facing something like that right now. How I am. Mm. You know, what's I've got this sudden abundance of work and all sorts of things is coming to my doorstep, and I'm sort of going. Can I cope with this? <laughs> what are my limitations? As you said, as you began, so now you know, what are my limitations to, to working with all of this? Mm. Yeah. And, and, and having said that, you know, again, it's important to be, have that flexibility to move in and out of both these two perspectives because mm. there are natural limitations we sometimes have to Obviously, mm. whether they're physical or psychological, that we do need to respect and pay attention to. For example, physical pain and uh, and so on. Yeah. Yes. And that takes an amount of confidence, I think, also to to be able to bridge and to assess yeah. how it's. I mean, you don't know, we don't know how it's going to be. So it's, it can be very anxiety creating, mm. can create anxiety. Yeah. Mm. So the various cups in our lives yeah. or cauldrons. Yeah. <laughs> I know some, some of you know that um, I've sometimes debated whether or not I changed the second line of the practice principles. So like, Barry Majid changed the second line of the practice principles, but all the other ordinary mind teachers have kept them the same, including me. 
because we kind of like this familiar and we like them. And um, and um, they kind of like in kind of like almost like they they go together with the four noble truths. They're just a different way of of expressing the the four noble truths of Buddhism. But um, Barry changed the the second line to the, waking to a dream within a dream. And I think it's a cautionary line in the sense that um, sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap that I've woken up from this ego-centered reality into some kind of Buddha-centered reality, and I've got it now. It's kind of like I see things clearly. I see the truth. But in reality, we're just waking up into another dream. You could call it God's dream if you like. But we're always located in this particular body-mind that we're in. We can never get outside of that. We are not God. We're, we're, we're participating, if you like, in that universal consciousness, but we are this localized version of it. So that's just a nice, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's too easy sometimes for people to be godded, to think that they've got it, you know. And that's, a, that's another trap. We just have to have that flexibility to be able to move between these two realities. So we have that third dimension which creates that greater flexibility and we don't get trapped or stuck in either side.